Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello! That was exciting. And welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. And as always, my beloved co-host here with me is... Ah, It's nice to be beloved. I am Chris Huddleston. And today we are very excited to be talking to you about the 1984 sci-fi thriller, Runaway. It is the future. Mysteriously spreading across an unsuspecting city. Machines trained to serve humans are turning against them. What do you got, Jerry? Model 912. Cut up two people inside the house. I'm going in. You're going in? We can send a disarm robot in. Hit the floater, it'll hit the disarm, and any minute it's going to decide to hit the kid. An ingenious conspiracy has begun. And someone has to stop the madman who started it all. We've got a non-standard chip here. You can turn any domestic computer into a killing machine. Working late at night all by yourself. I just had a few things to finish up. No, no big I deal. insist. Let me help you. No. Bug detected. Got a lot of bugs, Jackie. I thought it was Queen. Luther really wants to keep track of you. Why is that, Jackie? This is a bad guy. He's killed five so far. I want him. I'm telling you, I can't go out there. I can't go out! What does it take to get through to you? He sees everything. He knows everything that's going on in here. Can't run away, Ramsey. My little machine will find you wherever you go. bullet that has your name on it this isn't a runaway this is murder we're never gonna make it through this one runaway tom Selleck, cynthia rhodes gene simmons runaway Tri-Star Pictures. Okay, good trailer. Um, Chris, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. I'm going to just wing it, so I'll try not to ramble too much. As you said, it's a 1984, uh, it's a science fiction action-ish movie uh, written and directed by Michael Crichton, who's probably most famous as the writer of Jurassic Park, um, which I had no idea he was involved with this until we watched it. It stars Tom Selleck, Cynthia Rhodes and Gene Simmons. And it's in the near future of 1984. We're, we're not told by the story, by the film exactly when it is. And the only thing that's futuristic about it is there are robots and they're not humanoid robots. All the robots are basically just boxes with arms, but they work in offices and construction sites. And Tom Selleck has one named, I believe, Lois in his house that's kind of like a housekeeper. And Tom Selleck is a cop, and he is part of a robotics unit within the police department. So they deal with problem robots, which are called runaways. Um, When the film begins, he has a new partner, uh, played by Cynthia Rhodes. I forget what her name is. Her name is Thompson. And... uh, Early on in the film, he responds to a case where a robot, uh, there's basically a hostage situation in a home where a robot has killed the family and there's a baby in there that he has to go and rescue. They find out that uh, Gene Simmons is the villain in this film. He is tied to what has gone on with this killing. He's this evil guy who makes his own evil robots and he has bullets that have, he has a special gun with bullets that he's developed that have circuitry in them that can chase people based on the heat pattern of their bodies. And more or less the rest of the film is Tom Selleck trying to catch this guy. So that's pretty much the gist of yes. it. Yes. As always, I'm, we spoil. So yeah, so tell we me. We do, tell me we, what... we spoil. I, I'm going to object to one thing you said, that the only thing futuristic about it is the robots, because there are a couple of other gestures to a vision of the future. Uh, namely, the police force is almost, it felt to me like almost one-to-one male-to-female. Lots that is and true. lots yeah. of women on the force. 
Um, now they're all wearing knee length. Yeah, I thought that was funny. They skirts. had skirts. Yeah, they're, they're all like it's a so some 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 of the um, concepts in the film are very forward moving. Robots doing a lot of um, sort of menial tasks in every construction, every walk of life, and I think that was that was very forward looking. The design of the robots is not particularly. Um, it's not at all human. They're, so they're not android-looking things. They're just utilitarian, again, mostly boxes with um, like a sort of a claw or a button or whatever. Um, and lots of, lots of uh, in a, you know, the, the gender divide seems, at least in the police force, to have been corrected, that men and women are working alongside each other um, in a much uh, greater number, but um, <laughs> the fashion hasn't moved forward much. Uh, if at all, and, you know, there's a couple of other sort of things in this movie that I, first of all, I, I I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. I thought it told the story well, and it there is a lot of uh, fun corn in here that I'd like to talk about and pick yeah. apart. But ultimately, I cared uh, about what happened to Tom Selleck, and I found the action sequences, while sometimes the robotics was a little laughable or whatever, they they achieved the effect of tension uh, that, you know, you want a film to achieve. Gene Simmons, same way. I mean, he's kind of chewing the furniture, but he was, a, you know, he was a love-to-hate-him-bad guy. Like, every time he showed up, you're like, oh, you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, do you agree that it, it was effective, although kind of corny and cheesy in a lot of ways? Yeah, for the most part. So um, I definitely liked... Uh, I've always liked Tom Selleck. I mean, as a kid, I was a big fan of Magna P.I. And, and he's yeah. very similar. This is a very similar kind of role. He's he's not that different than, than Magnum. One thing that I've always thought was interesting about Tom Selleck as an actor is he's this tall, handsome guy. He was this huge sex symbol in the 80s. And he is so, he is so handsome. He's distractingly handsome. Like, yeah. I, it just kept striking me how good looking that guy is whether you're into mustaches or whatever it's like <laughs> the mustache works for him you know? yeah that he makes it but i i just was really mar it's not that I, i'm not saying that like it's either or hmm. he's a decent actor um but it just kept hitting me i'm like come on this is a cop that looks like this i don't know man <laughs> but the, the what's always been interesting to me about tom Selleck is and you know who knows what he's like as a as a real as a a person but magnum was like this and this character in this movie is like this there's a kindness to him you know he's very he never comes off as a um a macho like a stallone or or arnold kind of guy not that he's not masculine but there's a scene in the movie where, so of course his partner is instantly into him. Um, and there's a scene uh, a good bit into the movie where he says, uh, let's go to dinner. And she's like, okay, you know, she's very excited about this. And he seems kind of oblivious to the fact that maybe she would be attracted to him. And he says, well, you know, I always have dinner with all of my partners and uh, the fact that you're a woman, that shouldn't be a problem. And she's like, oh, yeah, right. So then visibly you know, disappointed, visibly disappointed. And he doesn't you know, he understands that he blew it, but he doesn't. It's almost like he doesn't get that. Oh, maybe asking her to yeah. dinner. What I say? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's a very it's a it's a really a stark contrast to the typical um, again, the macho action star kind of a thing of the time where it would have been like, okay, let's cut to them in bed together, you know? Right. So I, I, I think that's, you know, I, I don't know if that was, uh, I mean, I'm sure it was in the script, but um, so I've always well, thought he's interesting in that regard. It's interesting to cast a guy that looks like Tom Selleck in this role of, a, of, of somebody who was a beat cop who has vertigo, right. Mm -hmm. And couldn't, he he couldn't chase a perp up some building because of his vertigo, and the perp ended up, you know, um, hurting people or killing a family or something. So he blamed himself for that and decided to switch over to the robotics unit where he's just, you know, and this isn't Blade Runner. These runaways aren't 
nefarious at first. They're just malfunctioning, right? The first one we see is in a cornfield. It's picking uh, caterpillars off corn stalks, and it, it's gone a little haywire. So it's just kind of running over corn stalks and making a mess. And they, and they there's a slapstick thing where they kind of like they're chasing it and they're diving, and it's almost, you know, Benny Hill like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, he dives. Oh, he missed it. You know, there it goes. And it's there's a juvenile. I wondered if this was like pitched towards kids, if they were going for like a PG-13 rating or something. It is PG-13. That because because the the romance stuff, it seems like this is one. It's sci-fi, but we're we're aiming for the kids. So parents could take their kids to this one and there's something in it for everyone. And the kids will get what's going on. And it ends up being like. Pitching a little low, deliberately, like it's a little. Kids are smarter than you give them credit for. You know, you don't need the. You don't need to be like, we get it. She's into him, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things I didn't like about this movie is that it's painted in those big, broad primary strokes. She's gorgeous, right? I used to be a dancer, and then I hurt my knee, so then I decided to be a cop. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I believe that you used to be a dancer. Like, you're lovely, and you look like a dancer. I don't believe that you just decided you wanted to be a cop. Like, anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a little, it's it's corny. And and then he's like, but I, you know, I just, he seems to understand the machines, and she's trying to get to know him, and he's like, I just don't want to talk about it, okay? He's sort of a nerd. Yeah. Like he relates more to the machines. He doesn't pick up on the personal cues. He doesn't get – it's like he doesn't realize how, like, magazine gorgeous he is. And that's sort of refreshing, actually, if you come all the way around on it. But it's hard to believe that this guy is the nerd computer cop. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they put some dorky glasses on him that are that's to, to make him that, – you that know. he makes look, he makes him look good. Yeah, <laughs> like, like early on, they the keep having him. glasses on Tom Selleck, and those glasses look great. But there's a couple of scenes early on where he's pushing them up on his nose, and that's that's like, okay, he's right. a nerd. You got to understand that. Right. Get it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you know, they do have they have pretty good chemistry. Ultimately, he's yeah. he's. I wouldn't think I've never seen Tom Selleck do anything that I would describe. Like I can't imagine Tom Selleck doing Shakespeare, right? But he's really at ease in his skin. And later in the movie, when he's trying to, he's of course he ends up high up on a building. Like of course the vertigo. They plant that seed early, and it comes to fruition. And he is really suffering, and he's got. So so there are these sort of robotic spiders. We'll get into this later too, but. He's in a tight spot, and he's really at, in in a place where he doesn't want to be. He's literally hanging on by his fingertips up on this high building, and he is suffering, and I really believe it. Like, he, it's not like he's making a bunch of faces or writhing, or, uh, but there's just something in the way that, like, he climbs himself back up onto the thing, and I'm just with him the whole way. I'm like, wow, that's that's really great. Like, maybe he can't. Play King Lear and Romeo, but he takes a role and he knows what he's doing and he inhabits it in a very, um, a very true way that allows the audience to get on board with him. Yeah, there's lots of handsome actors, right? But not all of them get you to care about them on screen. He's just so charming, you know. It's not like he's a just a good-looking, vapid person, you know. He's yeah. he's just so charming and and likable, so yeah. I and uh, we talked about Gene Simmons a little bit. This was his first acting role, and he he was in a few movies in the eighties. And then I was looking at his his IMDb profile, and then there was kind of a big break there for a while, and then he he did a little bit more. Um, you know, a lot of his credits are just playing himself, but he had sure. he had several roles like this where you know he's playing a character and. He's interesting as well. I don't know if if it just never really worked out because he wasn't ever in anything really big or if he just, you know, he dabbled in it for a while, but he wanted to just, you know, stick with his day job of being a big yeah. rock star. But he's really good. I mean, I, I feel, um, you know, he... Yeah, it he, was surprising. He, I, uh, I, I think, I imagine he's just kind of a jerk. 
<laughs> like, I, I mean, I think in real, I think in real life he is. But I mean, yeah, his, his delivery of lines and everything was, he did a good job. I felt, and he, yeah, if anything, he's, um, if anything, he's laying it on a little thick, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, you know, if if you're looking at the naturalism that your lead is doing, then he's the sort of leering bad guy. I mean, right. from the minute you see him, you're like. He's evil, right? It's, but he does it well. Yeah. It's not um it's not super ham bone. Um and the script is uh you know, the script is a little forced. There's many, many, many opportunities where you feel like he could just he has bullets that sort of seek out a target. There's many opportunities he could just kill him, mm-hmm. right? He could just he could just shoot the cop. That's such a pain, but he doesn't. And there's like that; those stack up thirteen times. He could have killed him, but didn't for reasons. And the reasons are never substantial. He just kills everyone else, right? This is a guy yeah. that pulls his big magic gun and just out, of out his in pocket. public, and everybody's there, and there are cops and around. Smokes him. people, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a complete psychopath. Yeah. And so it's like, well, why don't you just kill the cop? This is the one guy that seems to be a constant thorn in your side. Just kill him. Mm-hmm. And it's never really adequately explained why he doesn't do that. And he can hack At one point, he anything. takes a hostage. And he's like, well, you say, well, he's got the templates or something, which is a baloney, right? So in this computerized whatever, they've got this kind of microfilm thing that is the templates of the chip the guy makes as though mm-hmm. we have robots that will serve us drinks but we're still storing programs on some kind of physical media you know yeah and and he can hack into anything he can hack into cameras and robots right. and, and everything right but if you don't think about it too hard yeah the performance and the thing land he's the sort of omnipresent boogeyman He's around every corner, and and you do love to hate him. Like when he shows up, you're like, oh, it's this guy again. And uh, right down when he dies, which is really corny and really dramatic, mm-hmm. you do, you know, it's that '80s thing where it's like, oh, he's dead. No, he's not. Yeah, oh, yes, he is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they really step on the gas on that one. Like oh, he's yeah. this big screaming thing that makes no sense. But then, and and they had the standard. Um... The police chief who's always mad at Tom Selleck, right. you know, always right. so they have the standard thing with that, you know. So he's the computer nerd and the maverick yeah. of the department. Yeah. My only real criticism of the movie is I felt like the action scenes were were pretty lackluster. Like there's one kind of central um, uh, scene that I think is supposed to be really exciting and dramatic where the bad guys are chasing Tom Selleck and the partner. And then they also have Kirstie Alley in the car who she was involved with Gene Simmons. Right. You know, they have, and the bad guys are chasing them and they have a panel in the, the bad guys have a panel on the bottom of their car that just opens up to the ground. And they have these little, uh, wheeled, uh, like bomb bots that they send out after them. And it just wasn't all that exciting. I, I don't, I don't know if it's just, you know, we've progressed so far in action movies since then that it's, you know, me looking back at this, this old movie. And I don't, did, did you feel that way at all? Did some of it I just kind of fall I flat I think for you? it's, yeah, I think that's part of it. Part of it just doesn't stand up. But part of the reason it doesn't stand up is in a world where you have smart bullets, like there is his colleague is when they discover this chip in the bullet, right? He's like, it's basically a heat seeking missile, but it's attuned to a specific person's heat signature. Well, we never see in the movie how that heat signature is programmed. The guy just shoots the gun and somehow that bullet is supposed to know which heat signature it's supposed to hit. So it's like right, right from the top down, if you think about any of this stuff too hard, None of it makes any sense. But in mm-hmm. a world where you can shoot a bullet straight up in the air and it is a heat-seeking missile for a specific target, why do you have these little rover highway things? Like, it's just... Yeah. Just shoot them with the magic bullets. Like, why are you... Why do you have other weapons? <laughs> you know? Yeah. The magic bullets don't work on a highway? Just... They'll literally... We see sequences where it's like bullet cam. It goes around corners. It goes... You know, the bullet will go under the car or over the cars in between you and them. Just program it to kill the cop and shoot the thing anywhere, and it'll find him. And the bullet thing, I 
I thought that was handled really well. You know, it's like a like a a first person. You know, you're following along with the bullet, and I I thought that was cool the way that was filmed. But the rest of it, I just felt, you know, the the performances are good, as you said. The the chemistry between Tom Selleck and the partner Thomas Tom Thompson is good, and Gene Simmons does a good job as the villain. And I found myself more enjoying and and being more interested in the more just human interaction kind of scenes. There's a scene where she gets shot and she has one of these exploding bullets in her arm and he has to remove it. Uh, And that, you know, that's a good scene. And and I, I I kind of enjoyed those scenes better than I did the scenes that were supposed to be really exciting action. Yeah. You, she's in pain and you really, you really believe she's in pain and he cares about her and, it's tense. Like they really, the actors really sell it. And the director, I give the director credit for it too. I think the script itself is, it's this sort of concept thriller thing. And, and what's a little bit offensive about the script is like, oh, no one's going to think about this too hard. But we, you and I, we've seen enough good science fiction that is thought through. Mm. That you're like, well, I do. <laughs> you know, I think about it. If it's too stupid, it takes me out of the movie. But then the actors really do everything they can to spec. Because at the end of the day, you don't watch the movie for scientific concepts. You watch the movie because you want to see the story of human beings um, overcoming adversity and finding love. And right, you you, yeah. you you watch the movie because of the people in the movie and the story that's telling. And then all the scientific concept stuff is just really cool set pieces right and circumstances and uh, i love i mean i love science fiction but this is a this is a better action movie than it is a science fiction movie yeah there's not a lot of science fiction to it well despite you know michael crichton i i i you can't say michael crichton didn't come up with some great science fiction concepts no no uh, I mean, Jurassic Park is a good example, but I've read a lot of Michael Crichton. I was going to ask you that. I've never read any of his books, and uh, yeah, they're good. They're yeah. good. They're not. They're, they're like Stephen King. They don't all like Stephen King. Another great concept guy, and he's great with dialogue and developing and getting you roped into him. They don't always end right. Like I don't mean right. I mean he has, they don't he has some trouble with endings. Yeah, end satisfactorily. Mm-hmm. Like The Stand is this incredible book, but. By the time this epic thing gets to the end, it's just sort of there's no way that a big rock ending could satisfy the scope of the world he opened up here. Right. Yeah. He wants to have it all come down to a big rock firework show where it's mono a mono and boom, and the bad guy's dead. And you're kind of like, but that's not the world you built. Um, so Crichton is a little bit the same way. He, great concepts, great development of the concepts, great develop of mystery and characters navigating that and then tying it off so you get this big satisfying like, wow, that blew me away at the end is hard Yeah, sometimes. And I think you see that here in this movie too. Like Jurassic Park, I don't remember really how any of them ended, but I remember a lot of the first and second acts of those movies, particularly the discovery acts where... You know, it's people in a place, and then they discover something weird's going on, and then this moment of like, oh my god, it's blah blah blah, you know, mm-hmm. and that he is super effective at that of of making sticky concepts that are cinematic concepts and um, that really get you into the world, and then and sometimes you know, there's a great big satisfying ending too, but not always. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the funny, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about this one, this is a nitpicky thing, but one of the things that I didn't quite understand is, so, you know, when Tom Selleck goes to the the house in the, in the scene where the robot has gone haywire and it's killed, you know, members of the family and he's got to rescue this baby and all that, that made sense. But some of this other stuff, like the very first thing that they do is they go to a farm and the, and it's a runaway robot, you know, in the field or whatever, it's not killing anybody or anything. It's just out of control. Or they go to a construction site where the robot is dropping bags of, of concrete or whatever, you know, from 20 floors up. I didn't understand that. Why that, what that had to do with the police. Why did the police have to 
You know what I mean? There, there weren't crimes being committed. Uh, right. I didn't understand why that wasn't something that just some company wouldn't, wouldn't do. And they would be, yeah. you know what I mean? That didn't, that didn't make sense to me that it's like, so they've got to go and anytime a there's point. a malfunction, you know, now, well, because of course today everything is privatized. So yeah, true. So the idea that there's like, well, we turn to the sort of government funded central protect is like, no, call the company that sold you the robot. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's their problem. Every bag it drops, you're billing the company, you know? And another thing, they the only thing that I could really there was there's one line where they go to um they go to this construction site where the robot is dropping the bags and the woman who's you know the manager or whatever of the construction site it said you know they said they say something like uh, are there workers up there and she's like no it's all robots you know it's great you don't have to have unions and there's no coffee breaks and all that kind of stuff so he's making a little bit of a statement there I don't know if it's pro or con you know, that in the future we can replace workers. I, I don't really know what he was saying there. But also there is, and it, it seemed strange to me, there's a, for a good portion of the movie, there's a news camera crew that just follows him everywhere to see what's what's going to happen. And I thought, right. and, and he, he seemed to be pretty clearly making some kind of a statement about, you know, the news media being terrible but, right. Well, they're always up his, you know, up his butt, always. And he's like, "Will you back off?" And the cameraman follows him into the room. Yeah. Follows him into the house and gets shot by the robot. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, "You idiot!" You know, he's like, "Oh, gotta get the story." I'm like, "We get it. The media is, uh, you know, it's a meddlesome nuisance." So I was trying to, th- I was trying to think of if that is a reality today. You know, are cops or detectives in L.A. or New York? like constantly being followed by the media. I mean, the media is going to show up if there's a murder or something like that, but I don't think they're following them around, like waiting for something to happen. Well, don't you feel like the script has changed a little bit in 2021? I mean, now with cops wearing body cams and stuff, the the narrative is sort of like, don't we want to see, you know, uh, we find out that an African-American boy was shot Oh, and none of the six cops had their shoulder cams on. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, and then eventually it turns out one of them did and we see the footage and they just executed him. And you're like, what was going on with the cops? Now, of course, this is not to say that cops are bad. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's that. But I actually was listening to a podcast about this where... He made the the argument that, you know, you talk about a few bad apples he said that the, the the whole phrase is a few bad apples ruins spoils the bunch. So you have to weed out those few bad apples. You can't just be like, oh well, few bad apples, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think through so the narrative of, oh, it's the it's the meddlesome media trying to get their nose and everything to sell ratings that are causing the problem, has flipped a little bit to, wow, we have no idea what's really going on out there where the rubber meets the road and we need to get some visibility into this. Yeah, Like journalism accepting certain partisan news sources, the idea that you've got someone on the ground, there's a nobility to it again. I think in some ways where you say, oh, wow, if someone, if there was a reporter in the group at the Capitol storming the Capitol, that's riveting valuable footage that you were there shooting that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, 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 no. I agree. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was thinking about this. I I wasn't thinking so much about the, again, the, the thing with the, the media and this is just kind of hand fisted. And apparently, you know, Michael Crichton must've had dealings with the media that he didn't like or, or something like that, or just saw it, you know, in our society or whatever. Well, it was a trope in the early eighties, right? Yeah. It was a trope of the sort of, you know, coke fueled, like, come on, this is my story. I'm trying to break the whatever. And, you know, like, get out of here. You're going to get people killed. And they, they, people get killed. It's like, and this would have been a story to them. It's just a story to them, you know? And this would have been kind of the precursor, I guess, to the 24 hour news and all of that. But yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. And I, but I was thinking it's interesting how, you know, pop culture shapes us. You know, we grew up, in a time, and even, you know, our parents' generation would have been the same thing. There were no shades of gray with the police. I mean, in this, obviously, you know, Tom Selleck and his partner, they're the heroes and you want them to succeed. 
and you know, there's never any uh, question of that. And then you had, this doesn't really take place in this movie, but we've talked about, like we talked about uh, Nighthawks with, um, with uh, Stallone. And you also had the trope in the eighties of the, you have the, um, the system once the, you know, they're given the criminals rights and everything. So the cop has to work outside the system, you know, and be basically a vigilante and, and, you know, to To do justice, to do justice and get the scumbags, you know, off the street and everything. And I think that's interesting that, you know, we never had any, um, portrayal ever when we were growing up, I think of cops, anything, but they're always right. And they're always the good guys. Yeah, unless it was the bad lieutenant, unless it was a portrait of the corrupt cop, and that was the point of the film. And the, yeah. But those were not mainstream, and those were not... I mean, you know, the revenge movie, the Dirty Harry movie, was framed that way sometimes, but it was very careful. So, viewed from one angle, Dirty Harry was a murderous vigilante, mm-hmm. like... He just went around executing people in the streets. And the movie set it up that the people that he executed were absolute monsters and deserved it. Yeah. But but if you zoom back and you look at it objectively, this is just a cop with a huge gun taking the law into his own hands and killing whomever he decides deserves to be killed. Yeah, he's judge, judge jury, and executioner. And so in those movies, you say, yeah, but satisfying because he just kills rapists and, you know, and, and other murderers and people that have figured out a way to, like, laughing all the way, skirt the system somehow. But, you know, so what if Dirty Harry is a racist? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if Dirty Harry is a misogynist? Or, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's a very slippery slope. And the bad lieutenant kind of films, it's always it's personal failings of the the you know the cop or the detective himself. He's a drug addict or he's a drunk or whatever. It's never that there's any problems with the system. He's you know he's just a screwed up guy, right? So yes, but so, yeah, we so. were talking about. I just the the ending. Here's another little beautiful cheesy moment in the movie. The ending when the 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 uh, the man and the woman finally survive, and their partners they finally survive. We come back around to the dinner thing, and he's like dinner, and you know I think they make some call back to that. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, and she's yeah. sort of smiling, and they're they're on the same page now. And so they're in this sort of construction site and something is exploding. And it's like um, when you're welding those little sparks yeah. that fly, you know, it's like it's like there's 50 people above them welding and there's <laughs> just these sparks raining down as the credits roll. They kiss for the first time at the very end of the movie. Right? And she, like, she kisses oh, him. Good. She kisses him first, so it's not him kissing her. But they then proceed to kiss throughout the entire role. They kiss for like what felt like twenty eight minutes. To mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, just, and and I'm like, guys, get out of the sparks! Like this is yeah. not, you know, your hair will catch fire. Um, that is an eighties, eighties, a very uh, cheesy eighties little touch. The music the video. And, they use that in music videos. There were always sparks going off in every construction site, you know? Yeah. And, and, and they're movie kissing, right? They're not macking. They're kissing in a, in an aesthetically movie kind of way. And so they're just on a loop where they're like, they kind of pull away for a second. And they're like, Oh, isn't this wonderful? Yes. Let's kiss a little more. And it just goes on and on and on, and the sparks are raining down. I'm like, mm-hmm. just go to black. <laughs> just let the credits roll. We get it. Well, yeah. they just kept it rolling. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I had turned it off by that point. I don't think I, I you know. This is before there. the, the uh, after credit cut scenes. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry about those. And, and these Teasing Runaway 2. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that also that I wanted to ask you. So Tom Selleck famously was the original choice for Indiana Jones. Um, And he couldn't get out of uh, Magnum to do it. And what do you think about if he had been Indiana Jones instead of Harrison Ford? I mean, obviously it would have been different, but. I think Harrison Ford has better comic timing. 
Okay. That's my first knee-jerk thought. Um, you know, and Harrison Ford hit it out of the park oh, yeah. so hard that it's hard to imagine anyone else. I think Tom Selleck in the leather jacket and with the whip and the hat, he would have carried the look. Right? He would have carried the look. I think he's harder to buy as the nerdy professor. Yeah. Which, and Harrison Ford's a good-looking guy, especially when he's young in that age. But he somehow pulled off the sort of nerdy professor. Right. right? Yeah. The the girl has love you written on her eye, the uh-huh. student in the front row. And, and he's, like, flustered. He completely loses his train of thought, you know? Yeah. And plausible. It's just hard to imagine anyone else besides Harrison Ford doing it. But I think mostly that's comic timing. Yeah. And... Um, you know, Tom Selleck hits his marks, but um, I think part of what makes the Indiana Jones trilogy, the whole property, so um, so long lasting, is the is the combination of genuine comic book, you know, adventure comics thrills and and the comedy. Yeah. So it's the adventure and the comedy that makes it a family thing. Like there's some, there's some Nazi gets chewed up by a propeller and I mean, people's face melt. Like it's not 13, 14, 15. It's not 8, 9, 10 stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, but the, the, the sweetness in the comedy really leavens it and makes it a family property. I just... You know, and you and I saw that at, we were in the Star Wars years. Oh yeah, They're, you know it's got a magical place in my heart. Like sure. I love Mesa Indiana Jones, and they still hold up. I mean, I I love those. Movies. Yeah, and they I, still hold up, and I love Harrison Ford. I Tom Selleck could have done it, and I think it would have been. You know, it probably still would have been a a, a massive franchise. It's just, it's you know, it's just. Uh, it would have been different. fun to see Spielberg direct Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. Because I think he would have squeezed some more out of him. Yeah, you know, and I don't think I don't think here he's very challenged by no. the director. I think what we see on screen is an actor doing his due diligence and his work, and maybe they go back for another couple of takes, being like, "Well, one, one more, where you're more confused or whatever." But I don't really Spielberg doesn't. You know, Spielberg gets in there and rolls up his sleeves and he's like, "Okay, now." So talk to me about this. It puts everybody on hold, and he's like, "Okay, let's you know, you know, let's let's go there together. Let's paint the picture. Let's be in this world together, and see if we can't go a little deeper, a little further into the corner. A little, you know, what's really what are you you know?" And he he gets that out of his his actors, and that's part of the reason why Spielberg's movies are so engaging. Oh yeah, I mean, look what he gets out of kids. Et, I mean. Uh, You brought up something. I I don't want to get it too far afield of what we're talking about, but you brought up something that's one of my um, kind of movie tropes for me is you talked about with the Indiana Jones movies, you know, there's this combination of action and comedy. And one of the things that I think is interesting with franchises, you know, action adventure type franchises. So you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a it's a serious movie with some jokes in it. And then you get to the third movie with him and Sean Connery, and it's just a comedy at that point. The Lethal right. Weapon series is the same way. First Lethal Weapon, really serious movie. You know, he's suicidal and everything, and it has some jokes in it. You get to the third movie, and they've got Joe Pesci in it, and they're just cracking jokes the whole time. I think that's a funny thing that Hollywood does, that, that franchises like that, they always get more comedic as they go along. I guess yeah. it's like as you're more used to the characters, you're you know, people are I guess more interested in just the interaction between them than they are the action and everything. But that that's, that's a, interesting. That's a trope that, you know, they've done in a bunch of of series, and there, I feel. There must be data to support that. There mm-hmm. must be data because they don't none of that is accidental, right? Yeah. Uh, something a, a first one of those properties hitting big can be not accidental, but it can be fortuitous, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you don't know. Maybe you get Tom Selleck and maybe Raiders of the Lost. It's a fun movie that people like, but it doesn't. it's not the smash hit. You know, it doesn't explode on fire the way that, that the first Indiana Jones actually did. But from there, they focus group people and they talk to people coming out and they must hear again and again, oh, it was so funny. It was funny. It was so funny, you know? And they they... It's a calculus. 
So if they're going to pay for a second movie, they want people to like the second movie just as much. They never do. But they want the people to like the second movie just as much. And then if it makes a certain amount, then it's worth making a third one. And there's a diminishing return as you go down sequels. Mm-hmm. But maybe shifting it to the comedy is a formula that's tried and true in Hollywood. I don't know. But it, I definitely know what you're saying. I yeah. recognize that. Rocky, the first, you know, the first Rocky has an Academy Award winning film, a, a drama. By by the time you get to Rocky Three, you know, it's not really a comedy, but you have him fighting uh Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan's name is Thunderlips. <laughs> you know, the Superman, the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. The first one is serious with some funny stuff in it. And what is it? The third one that has Richard Pryor. And yeah, it didn't work very well. I mean, I think that by that point they weren't doing too great. But I don't know. It's just it's just a funny little thing that um that is, is interesting to me about sequels. In the Richard Pryor one, there's a, like a supercomputer that grabs people and sort of sucks them in and computerizes them. And that terrified them. That? me as a kid. Oh, man. That freaked me the hell too. out of me. <laughs> I was afraid it came on. This is, I don't know, this is maybe 15 years ago, but I was an adult and I was over at my cousin's house mm-hmm. for the holidays and it was just on TV late one night and I was sitting there with a glass of scotch and I was like, Oh, yeah, this is that part, the terrifying part. And I I was, there was a little part inside of me that's like, don't watch it. It's too scary. (laughs) And I, you know, but I was like, how bad can it be? I mean, this was PG or whatever. So I watched it. And sure enough, I was like, huh, that's what really messed me up, huh? But I could sort of see, because they used a little stop motion, the little Harry Housen, like little cables came out and, I don't know, but when I watched it as a kid, it really messed me up. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, that was it's it's funny the way those kind of things because I can. It's been a long, long time since I've seen that movie, but I can you know see that in my mind's eye, and it it, it you know just gives me a little bit of a chill to think about that. I'm sure, like you said, you watch it now, and you know it's no big deal. But well, but this stuff- one has. This one has hostile robots. This one has robot spiders, and they're kind of corny spiders. They're practical spiders. So mm-hmm. at, in 1984, those were boxes that had, and technically a spider has eight legs mm-hmm. instead of six. Yeah. But they're basically these little walking boxes that are like, and they do camera tricks to make them sort of jump around in fast, excuse me, fast ways, and they have like a needle that spurts acid. I mean, there's a lot going on with these things, and they can apparently electrocute you. But fundamentally, they're not very scary looking. They're little silver shoeboxes mm-hmm. on, frankly, really not very mobile legs. So they they make them look mobile by having them sort of jump, but they look like somebody just sort of tossed them. <laughs> yeah. You know, but but they, they do a good job of telling the story of these things being deadly. And um, particularly when there's six or seven of them coming for you, it lands that's just an example of the concept pre-CGI not being able to really execute what's really a, a scary sci-fi concept. And they inject with acid, right? Yeah, and, and at, near the end, they sort of spray. They can't quite reach him through the bars of this elevator cage, so they sort of spray him, and he's got these big black acid burns on either side of his face from yeah. where they were trying to get at him, and he looks pretty messed up by the end of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess overall, you know, my thoughts are it's this isn't a bad movie. The the trailer, you know, we watched the the trailer leading up to this and I had seen this way back originally at the time, you know, that it first came out for rental and remembered almost nothing about it. I, re- I remembered the bullets that could go around corners and everything, but that was about it. And the trailer makes it seem a lot cornier than what it is. You know, it's not a it's not a bad movie it's it's fine it's uh you know i I didn't i wasn't upset that i watched it or anything and this is one that it you know probably wasn't a big enough hit for this but this is something that could be remade and be pretty cool you know there's a there's a really good shell of of a story there that with this could benefit from today's effects i think yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think the the concept was uh, ahead of its time in 1984. 
of sentient robots. And of course, with movies like Will Smith's iRobot and other things, the idea of robots going bad. Oh, they're made to help us. Oh, no, they're bad. Um, is actually tired at this point. Mm-hmm. But if you really had a world of of perfectly... And of course, I think we'd have driving cars and stuff. Like You'd really have to update it. Um, but where life was actually a lot better because of robots. Like, things are great. Um, They're not evil, guys. They're awesome. Like, this is great. And then you've got somebody somehow, you know, and you have a whole scene where it's like, oh, look at this. There's a chip or there's some code in here that's making it, turning it into a weapon. And you're like, but how? Like, that's impossible, you know, because of reasons, sci-fi reasons that, you know, that, that shouldn't even be possible. Um, I think you could you could get to the same kind of plot line where somehow somebody has sort of weaponized what previously was kind of unweaponizable mm-hmm. in a world where we establish where people aren't afraid of robots. People love the robots because it means they have to work less. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny, too, that, you know, another thing that I was struck with watching this, and it, not in a funny way, but that I'm sure that Michael Crichton, when he wrote this and when the movie was made, he probably thought, you know, we could, it wasn't like he was predicting things, but there were things that I noticed uh, in this, like when they go into um, the home where the robot has gone haywire and is killing the people, I forget what they call it, but they send a drone in. Um, right. And I don't know if, did when did... Did drones exist in any way at all at this time? I mean, would even like the military have had them? I don't remember. But it definitely know. would have seemed very futuristic at at the time. Oh, wow, yes. this flying thing with a camera on it. Yes. And now that exists. But And there's also a scene where it's, it's a very quick cut of uh, Tom Selleck has a son. And the... Uh, you know, he comes right. home and the kid's in bed and he has essentially an iPad, you know, um, which Star Trek did that and, and everything. So it's not like that's something, you know, that uh, he was really predicting the future. But I'm sure Michael Crichton thought, oh, by 2021, everybody's going to have a robot in their house. You know, you're not going to have to cook or clean or do housework or anything because your robot right. will do it, you know. Right. And, uh, and in a way, it's one of those things where it's a little bit it's kind of disappointing because we would have thought at this time, oh, yeah. 2021 things are going to be crazy you know it's going to be flying cars and everything you know and so you wonder how far in the future you know because you could make a movie right now and the idea of having everybody having a robot in their home and robots do the construction work and everything is still still seems pretty far away from our reality right now well, that's one of the things I love so much about Blade Runner is it envisions a future in which the robot slaves we make aren't mechanical, mm-hmm. right? They're 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 the same biological material that you and I are. They're just designed and grown in vats, right? And we teach them, we we train, we program them to believe that to understand that they're different, that they don't have a soul, right? We use things like religion as tools to control them, but. They are superior to us. We build in a limited lifespan and stuff like that. But we actually build better versions of ourselves to subvert. And I think that is such a meaty, delicious concept to explore in science fiction that the idea of a a C-3PO that does your thing, you know, that's an object. You know, because in in Blade Runner, both of the movies, um, there are people that hate the replicants hate them just because they're replicants. Yeah. I just think it's so much more interesting to explore things that are like, what if, you know, you get into what if and it's gray areas of where we don't like to even think or talk about how we behave now. Like what makes a replicant so different than another person? What makes it okay to spit on a replicant? They're, they're just, they're, in fact, they are superior to you physically. Mm-hmm. They have thoughts and feelings and sensations. They, they, it was not their fault they weren't born, right? Yeah. But they're mortal. I mean, they live and you know? Yeah. I just think that's really 
to ask those questions and then kind of kick them around in the movie without spoon feeding answers. That is to me the 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 real connective tissue of sci-fi that makes it it's asking these kind of probing questions that make you stop and think, oh whoa, how does that resonate with the world we live in today and the choices we make today? Right? Oh, it's the future, so this is just fun and games. But think about it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think absolutely. I mean, we're it's been, uh, uh, and again, I don't want to get us too far off track, but you know, you've seen a lot in the news the last few weeks that there have been all of these hate crimes against Asian people, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have skyrocketed because Mm -hmm. of the, you know, coronavirus. So I think absolutely, if we would ever have something like Blade Runner, where we would have something along the lines of replicants, there would be people that would be totally against them and look at them as some kind of an abomination, you know? Yeah. I think there would be all kinds of discrimination uh, or people that wouldn't want anything to do with that. For sure, you know. Yeah. Well, we're we're almost at time. Okay. So let's we we have decided on our next film. We're gonna do Doppelganger. Um, yeah, and this one is uh, for. Uh, I don't think this was a widely seen movie, but this was one. Oh, so uh, Runaway. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I had not either. Runaway. Um, is on Amazon Prime. Anybody, you know, it's worth watching. Anybody that, especially if you're a Tom Selleck fan or you're a Gene Simmons fan, it's worth um, checking out. Or Michael I, Crichton I found, a, fan. I found it entertaining. You know? I did too. Yeah, I was never, I was never bored with it, even though, you know, I, I found some of the action lackluster. But there, there are some chuckles. You know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a little ripe in 2021. But um, if you're into this, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I don't know, I'm gonna smoke a fatty and. Check out some weird old 80s sci-fi nostalgia. I was like, this is worth it, I think. Now, next week's film would definitely be good for that. So, so Don't run spoil a- it for no, me. No, no, no. I, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm trying to go into it yeah. as, as blank as I can. I won't, I won't spoil any. any but uh, So Runaway was an Amazon Prime film, and also Dom- Doppelganger is on Amazon Prime as well. And it was one of these where... Uh, you know, if you liked this, you might like this. So I started watching it just simply based on the cover and the description. And it wasn't until I started watching it that I realized that it has Drew Barrymore in it. And um, it's a 1993 film and it's it's just really crazy. So that's all that's all I I'll say wait. about it. So I can't this wait. One, I may watch it tonight. This one, Yeah, if you do text me because I'd like to I'd like to hear what you think. Uh, but it's a, it's just real out there. So, uh, so, you know, if anybody hasn't heard of that, which I imagine a lot haven't, um, that's what we're going to do for next week. Excellent. Um, so as always, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com feedback, comments, constructive criticism, praise, suggestions, anything. Thank you. Let us know you're out there. We're on all the socials snap <laughs> and, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, we're going to end it a little short tonight, but I think we've covered Runaway, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a okay, it's a thumbs cool. up. So, it's, yeah, I give it a thumbs up, too. Um, and um, so why don't you check out Doppelganger with us, 1993 on Amazon Prime, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>